Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. All right, let's jump into God's Word. If you have your Bibles, would you open with me? We're going to be in the book of 2 Kings chapter 17. Eight weeks ago, we started a journey, and uh, we've been walking through God's Word. And as you have taken time to read each day of each week, um, I pray that God's been meeting you. Some of you, you may have fallen behind. A few of you confessed that to me in the foyer. It's okay. It's a judgment-free zone. Uh, But I want to encourage you, dive in, continue to stay faithful reading. Because as we come to the Lord each day, when we read his word, it's like we're receiving our daily bread from him. It sustains us, it leads us, and it's filled with God's timeless truths. You're amazed that as you read God's word, you realize not only did it apply then, it applies to you right where you're at today. And uh, and I pray that that's what you've been learning as we've journeyed together. Well, would you join me in a word of prayer? We're just going to pray that God meets us in a special way today as we look at his word. Lord Jesus, we come before you today, and I thank you that this is a day, Lord, this is a day that you've ordained. And Lord, I know that you have called those that are gathered here today to this very place at this very time for such a time as this. Uh, Lord, today as we look to your word, uh, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be very open. That Lord, I pray for those that have come in here, and there's a hundred things that are clouding their mind right now. Uh, Lord, I pray that in the next few moments, your Holy Spirit will just grab their attention. And Lord, you'll speak into their heart exactly what each one of us need to hear. Lord, I pray today that we wouldn't uh, leave here just having heard your word, but Lord, we would be changed by your Spirit speaking to us. Lord, you are the living word. And we pray now that you'd come and you'd make the word living, active in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we come today. Lord, I come uh, in the fear of the Lord, Lord, knowing that the things we will discuss, Lord, they're weighty subjects. They impact us, Lord God. And they don't just impact us, but they impact generations to come. Lord God, what you desire to do. Lord, help us not to see history and relive its mistakes, Lord God. But help us as your people who are full of your Holy Spirit, who can stand in the victory of God today, who have seen Lord God, with unveiled faces, Lord God, your goodness, who have tasted of your salvation, Lord God, help us not to leave here turning a blind eye to what your word is calling us to. Lord, we give you ourselves. We give you this day, Lord God. Come and have your way, we pray. Amen. Amen. Eight weeks ago, we began this journey. And if you were with us on that day, we stood on the banks of the Jordan River together with Joshua and the people of God as they prepared to enter into the promised land. This land was promised for hundreds of years to these people. God had made a promise to their forefathers. And on that day, they were ready to see it come to pass in their own eyewitnessing of it. They were able to see God's promise being fulfilled. It was truly epic. And Joshua led the people of God through the Jordan River on dry ground. They went into the land. They saw the walls of Jericho fall. They saw miracles happening all around. They saw the enemies of God that seemed like they should have routed them and throw them out. They saw them defeated and cast away. And truly, God was faithful to every promise that he made to his people. It was incredible to see all of these things happen. And that's how the story began in such an epic way. And you saw, if you've been following along, that there have been a lot of ups and downs along the way. That the people of God really are like one of those car rides that you take that makes you motion sick, right? Where you're going up a hill and then down into a valley and up a hill. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been on one of those road trips? I was on it a few weeks ago and poor Lily, she got car sick. And then I had to detail my car last week uh, because of
because of what happened in there. So you know what that's like, just to go up and down. That isn't good for us. It's not good for God's people either. And as we go through the ebbs and flows of this uh, series of reading, of these portions of God's word, um, I wish I could tell you that it ends just as well as it begins, but it doesn't. It doesn't end on a high note. If you'll continue reading through the end of this week, you're going to see that where the people of God find themselves is almost where they first began, in slavery again. And after all that God had done, we find them falling back into slavery. Look with me in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6. Look what it says. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried Israel away into exile to Assyria. What started on the banks of the Jordan with God moving in mighty power, parting the seas and allowing them to walk into the promised land, into his presence, into his promises, it ends with the people of God being cast out of God's presence, being removed from God's presence. What happened? Something happened throughout the story that we have been reading. It has been a thread that has been woven through an issue that has not been addressed time and time again. And before long, it put everything that God had done in their lives at stake and in jeopardy. It was something that seemed so small and innocent in the beginning, but had grown to something completely unmanageable that before long, the people of God could no longer even remain in God's presence. Over a period of 700 years from when we began, to where we pick up today by the end of the book of 2 Kings, we see that there has been a thread of sin in the hearts of the people that have led them to this place. And God has given us his word so that we would not walk in the same way. And what I learned as I've read this week is the choice of one generation has an impact on other generations. That the choice of one begins to trickle down to others. And that there is a choice that each generation has to make. Are we going to rise up and look to God? Or are we going to follow in the ways of those that have gone before us that have turned their hearts from God? And I want to tell you, if you read this week, you may feel that same motion sickness that I described to you. Because time after time, you read the accounts of the people of God turning to the Lord and then turning away from him. Turning back to him, turning away from him. Running to God whenever they were in trouble and then running from him when they felt like they can control everything themselves. And before long, the people of God would no longer even be able to be in his presence, carried off into slavery, carried out of the land that God had promised them. Look with me if we continue on in the next verse. It gives us the answer to the question, why? Why did this happen? Pastor, why? Why did all of this come to this point? How did things get so bad in this way? Let's read together and see because we find the answer right there in God's word. In verse 7 of 2 Kings 17, Here's what it says, and look there on, the, on, on your Bible if you have it. We'll put a few of the verses up on the screen. It says, now this came about, this is the why, because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and they feared other gods. They walked in the customs of the nations who had driven, who the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel, and they walked in the customs of of the kings of Israel, which they had introduced. Not that God had introduced, but the kings of Israel. Verse 9, the sons of Israel did things secretly that were not right against the Lord their God. And moreover, they built for themselves high places in all of their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set for themselves sacred pillars in the ashram on every high hill and under every green tree, 
and they all burned incense in all the high places as the nation did, which the Lord had carried away in exile before them. And they did evil things provoking the Lord. They served idols concerning which the Lord had said to them, you shall never do such a thing. Do you know what was at the heart of why there was such an epic failure among the people of God that actually left them by the end of this story outside of God's presence and his promise? It was that they could never overcome the idols that were among them. And when you want to look at what the main issue was, the thread that is woven through is what they would do with the high places in Israel, in the land. There was something called high places, and this phrase is one that you may not be familiar with, but it's very important for us to understand as we look at God's word today. This phrase is found 117 times in the scriptures, and God's talking about it, and he's normally giving it a warning around how the people need to be careful of what's happening in the high places. And I want you to know today that thousands of years later, this same warning comes to us, that God warns us today, what are you doing with the high places? We need to be on the watch out for what's happening in the high places. You see, a high place was ultimately an elevated place. It was a place that was up on a mountain or in an elevated piece of land among Israel and in that area. And those high places were where people would go to worship other gods. And so they would erect in those high places different kinds of poles, different kinds of idols, things that were um, formed out of their own hands and, and either melted together, but they would represent different gods that they were trying to appease. And it was there in those high places that the people of God were worshiping and bowing down to other idols. And so it was there in that place that we see it becomes the foundation for the dysfunction that ultimately is the demise of the people of God. Now, when I was in Israel a few years back, I was able to actually go to one of these high places in the northern part of Israel, and here are a few pictures of what they look like. You'd see it's normally a platform or some type of uh, elevated place, and this was on top of a mountain, and it was there that you could see that people had been coming and people had been worshiping for many years. And some of these high places are the very high places that are spoken of in God's word in these passages of scripture. If you continue through these slides, you'll see some of them go back even further. Uh, they were there um, thousands and thousands of years ago. They were just when they were not even uh, human stone. They were just putting stones together and making high places to worship. And as people would come, they would come from far and wide. But their goal, their goal was to try to get that God on their side to try to get him to do whatever it is they longed for him to do. God takes the high places very seriously. Let me say that to you again. God takes the high places very seriously. The people of Israel and even the kings of Israel, they did not take the high places very seriously and it cost them everything. I want to tell you today, a failure to take the high places seriously can cost you everything. Whenever we look at God's word, we see here, that if we want to know the condition of the hearts of the people, you had to look no further than what was happening in the high places in Israel. It had a direct correlation to what's going on in the heart of the king and in the heart of the people of that place. God gave such a warning, even years before the people would ever come into the promised land, he warned them about these high places. Numbers chapter 33, verse 52, the Lord is speaking through Moses before Joshua ever led them into the promised land. Here's what he says. You shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, and you shall destroy all the figured stones, destroy all the molten images, and demolish all their high places. The Lord called him to that, said this is what you must do. He continues to warn them as they come in, destroy the high places, 
the Lord is driving out the people around them. And in so doing, he says, now destroy everything. Destroy the high places. Destroy the places of worship so that I will be the only one that's worshiped. Now you'd say, why? That, that sounds, and as you were reading in the passage, you may have seen, wow, God seems very angry. God seems very selfish that he only wants them to worship him and there's no room for any of the other gods that are among them. What, what gives? What's up with that? Well, let me introduce you to a few of those. And let's get to know a little bit about the other gods that were being worshipped of that time. There were a few of them that were among that land that the people were entering into. There was one called El, who was the supreme head. He was an, a, a Canaanite god, and he was supposedly the father of all creation. Then there was Baal. And if you've been following along in the reading, uh, you saw there was a big showdown between a bunch of the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel with Elijah when fire was called down in heaven. See, Baal was the Lord of the earth and of rain, right? And that's all they wanted him to do on Mount Carmel was make it rain, uh, make something happen, consume the offering, do something. Ashereth was a goddess of fertility, and Canaanite farmers they wanted their crops to, to succeed, and so in that land, they would go to worship uh, Ashereth, hoping that they would be able to have a good yield. The way that they would worship is that they would make them come to the temple and sleep with the prostitutes there. And by doing that, somehow they were appeasing the god of fertility by sleeping with the temple prostitutes to guarantee that they would have a good crop yield that year. Then there was Dagon. Dagon is the principal god of the Philistines. The Philistines were normally very intimidating, and so their god was very intimidating. He was mighty. Um, he was one that uh, many of the people would fear Dagon and his wrath and his punishment. But something incredible happens in God's word, that whenever the people of God, they faced a great defeat, and I believe that Pastor Rick preached on a passage right near this, that the Philistines, they took the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God among the people. And when they took it, they let it sit, in the temple of Dagon, a temple that was set aside to him, and there was these different carved figures, and there was like these images of Dagon, these idols that were set up all around. Well, every night when they would go to bed and they'd come back in, all the idols were laying face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And the people are there, and, they, and they're kind of a little freaked out. And then before long, they're starting to get smashed. And the people are breaking out uh, in all kinds of sickness. And they realize, yeah, we don't want anything to do. We thought we had a powerful God, but the God of Israel is stronger, right? The world thinks it has a powerful God or a powerful force, but our God is greater. He's greater. And, uh, and one of the great showdowns uh, showed that, that all he was, all Dagon was, was a bunch of stones stacked up that people were bowing down to, that he was the God that had true power, the true God to be worshipped. So that was Dagon. Then there was Molech. Molech was a god of the Ammonites. And it was to Molech that children were sacrificed. Little babies were taken and they were sacrificed to Molech. And at a very young age, these, could you imagine these children just being taken away from their families, their future, and sacrificed? In fact, archaeologists have actually found Jake, uh, clay jars that have uh, charred baby bones in them, set up in areas where Molech was being worshipped. And then there was Chamosh, who was also a Moabite deity, and he was honored in, in some of those same rites with child sacrifices and detestable things. These are just six of the 26 gods that were kind of popular in that day, in that age. So could you understand with me why God took the high places seriously? Because this is the kind of stuff that was happening in the high places. There was in the idol worship, in the hope of people wanting to have a good yield and crop, they would, what would they do? They would defile themselves sexually. In, in the desire for them to appease the gods and give them what they needed, they were willing to even kill their own children. 
for them to be able to have and get ahead and do whatever they wanted to, they would go and they'd bow down and they'd do whatever they could do to appease those gods. In fact, whenever you look at what's happening on Mount Carmel, whenever the prophets are calling out to Baal, whenever he doesn't hear them, they begin to cut themselves and bleed. They're crying out just for him to hear them and so they'll do anything they can to try to appease him. And you'd say, Pastor, that's like then, not now. Well, let me tell you, You may not get to hear this story next Sunday as we share all the stories of what God did on the mission field, but it came back from Uganda. That in Uganda, there were tons of children that were uh, all around, and and at very young ages, um, our team was noticing that some of their ears were pierced. And I think there are a few people in the the service that uh, may have picked up on this if they were with our team leader. And they were asking them, why are these little babies' ears pierced? There are a lot of little ears that are pierced. And they said, that makes them um, unable to be a candidate for sacrifice. And they said, what do you, what do you talk, what do you mean? They said, they pointed up the hills, the witch doctors will come down sometimes and take unblemished children to go and sacrifice to the gods. So don't think that this isn't happening uh, today. Don't think that this is some far out uh, idea, but, but that's very much happening in the world around us right now. And so with that, these detestable things are happening, so God was taking it very seriously. Now, do you think at any point in time that the people of God sat down one day and they said, you know what, it seems like a good idea to go defile myself and break God's law. Do you think at one point in time they realized, you know what, yes, I don't really care for this child. I would, I would rather him burn in the fires up to some God that I don't even know if he hears me or not. No, it didn't start there. Do you know that? It never starts there. It started with a small compromise, an open door, and then before long, the flood waters came in, and before long, the people of God are doing things they never thought they would do. Isn't it starting that way always with small compromises and before long you find yourself where you never thought you'd ever be, doing what you never thought you would ever do? And I want to tell you in the same way that we have the opportunity to look down through the generations over these hundreds and hundreds of years, there is a legacy that is left by each one and their legacy is spoken of and their legacy hinged on one thing and one thing only. There are different things that are being said about every king, about every leader, about the people of those times, but all of them hinged on one phrase. In every single one of them, this one phrase keeps showing up. What they did with the high places. How they were addressing the high places made all the difference in their time. And there are three ways that the people of that time, they dealt with the high places. The first way that the kings would deal with the high places is they would embrace them. So if you look through the history of the kings of Israel, some of the, the, the kings, they didn't just know that the high places existed, they actually embraced them and encouraged people to go and worship the other gods. The king that God had established in the place where God wanted his glory to dwell, we sang it today, show me your glory. In the place that God chose to allow his glory to be revealed. The kings and the leaders were welcoming the worship of other gods. There are a few of them in particular. The one that's most startling to me is actually King Solomon. Did you know that King Solomon allowed for other gods to be worshipped? See, he was seduced into it. If you look with me in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 7, you'll see it on the screen. It says, then Solomon built, look at the word, you're going to see it over and over again today. He built a high place to Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab on the mountain to the east of Jerusalem. And then he built another one to Molech. We told you what those gods stood for. That was the ones where infants, small children were being worshipped by sacrificing them. It was King Solomon that did that. 
the wisest king to ever live. He somehow became so blind that he is allowing for other gods to be worshipped right there in front of him when he knew so much. You know what he knew? More than any other king, they said, before him. A man of incredible wisdom. I want to tell you that idolatry is a very serious thing. And what happens in the high places is very serious and it's very much rampant in the world that we live in today. The gods just have different names. And I want to tell you, they have become camouflaged and some of you feel like you are inoculated to them. You don't even realize it. That every day, the world around us is bowing down to different gods. They have different names. But I want to tell you, their end goal is exactly the same. To separate you from God, to continue to cause pain and destruction and do all kinds of detestable things in the very world that we live in. But the kings then, they embraced these things. They embraced these idols. They embraced these sinful practices. They embraced all of these things. So Solomon was one of them. Another one was Ahaz. Ahaz, the Bible says, unlike his father David, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel. He even sacrificed his own son in the fire. He engaged in detestable practices to the nations the Lord had driven out. He offered sacrifices and he burned incense at the high places on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. Then we have Manasseh. Manasseh did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord as well. He did incredibly terrible things. He rebuilt the high places after they had been torn down by his father. And then not only that, but he took all of those uh, altars and all of those idols and he brought them into the temple of the Lord where God's glory was meant to dwell. Not only did they set up high places, but he actually said, you know what, let's bring all those idols, all those other things, let's bring them into the temple of the Lord where we are coming to worship God and let's begin to worship all of them instead. Could you imagine today if you came to church and we said, we're here to lift up the name of Jesus, but guess what, we're going to worship some other gods as well. Could you imagine that, how grieved you would be? Could you imagine that the people of God, at some point in time, they became so inoculated that they just came and went and this was acceptable to them? that these other gods will be worshipped because idols have a way of sneaking in to the hearts of the people without them even realizing it. And before long, they're embracing them. Another way that the kings would respond is that they would ignore them. They would do nothing about them. They would say, yeah, they just exist. I'm not going to ever do anything about it. I'm just going to tolerate them. And so we see the majority of the kings that we will read about. If you're reading through 2 Kings, you'll see they tolerated the high places. Asa, it says this, he was fully committed to the Lord all of his life, but he didn't remove the high places. Jehoshaphat, in everything, he followed the ways of his father. He didn't stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but the high places were not removed. Joash, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all of his years. However, the high places were not removed. Amaziah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David has done. In everything, he followed the example of his father. However, the high places were not removed. Jotham, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah. In the high places, however, they were not dealt with. Do you see this theme over and over and over again? Here's what I want you to know. Many of us, we may say, you know, I'm not, I'm not just actively turning completely against the Lord. I'm not running around in sin. I come to church. I worship. I serve. I go into the mission field. I, I get involved in everything that I can. I love. I give. I do everything. I want you to know that it is entirely possible for you to do all of those things, to love the Lord and to walk with him and yet never deal with the high places in your heart. 
And I want you to know that there's something huge that's at stake, something that hinges on it, and we learn it from generation to generation. It's that there's a legacy that is left, and your legacy hinges on how you deal with the high places of your heart. Let me say that again. Your legacy hinges on how you deal with the high places of your heart. That's the lesson we learned from God's word this week, is that the legacy of these men, the, what is left behind, it hinged on what they did with the high places. Something they thought would have never even made a footnote in their story was the central theme that went through their entire history, is what were they doing with the high places? Yes, they did this. Yes, they built that. Yes, they did great and mighty things, but they never dealt with the high places of your heart. Let it not be said of us, church. Yes, they loved and they served dearly. Yes, they led Bible studies. Yes, they went onto the mission field. Yes, they sang and and applauded and came to the altars, but they never dealt with the high places of their heart. They tucked away sin and idols and things that they kept separate from God, and they never allowed the Lord to deal with those areas of their life. Let it never be said of us that we lived a God life, a good life, but not a God-sized life. Let it not be said of us, yes, they followed the Lord, And they did the things that he asked of them, but they never dealt with this one area. It's that area of compromise, that area of hidden sin, that area of idolatry that's there. It's right before us. And some of you would say, you know, we're living in a different day. We're living in a different age. There there can't be any you know, any of these kind of things anymore. I want you to know that the gods are still here. They're still being worshipped. There's only one God. It's our God, the true God. But the, the gods, the idols of the ages of then have reprised themselves in new names, and there are three of them, power, sex, and money. And I want to tell you that, that each of those are a root to idolatry in the hearts and lives of so many. For some of them, it's multiple or set up, power, sex, and money. You can see this. You can see it in the world around you. You can see it if you just think about that. Just let that sit in your mind for just a few minutes and think about how people are bowing down, how their lives are being shaped by those three things. In fact, there's a book that was written. The book is called Counterfeit Gods. Counterfeit Gods. It was written by Tim Keller, who's an incredible pastor, incredible author. He's up at Redeemer Presbyterian Church up in New York City. And he writes about this idea of counterfeit gods. And part of this actually is connected to a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3. And it speaks of the idea that we've created idols in our heart. Look what it says in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3. We'll get to this quote in just a moment, but let's jump to Ezekiel 14, verse 3. It says, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. And you'd say, how do you do that? Well, your heart is like a high place. It's the seat of worship. It's a seat of adoration. That's why the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your what? Hearts, soul, mind, and strength because your heart is a high place. It's a place of worship and it needs to be addressed because what your heart loves most is what begins to shape your life. What your heart loves most is really what you're worshiping. You can sing every song that the choir sang today. You can know it upward, downward, backwards, every single way and yet your heart can still worship something completely different. You can sing all those songs and not be worshiping God. Can you believe that? That somehow your heart can still be set apart to something else, can love something even more, and cherish something, rejoice in something greater than Jesus himself, who is the greatest, who is above everything. And so if that's happening, that means that you have an idol in the heart that has been created. And and you'd say, how does that happen? How does that work? Tim Keller in his book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, he talks about this. And I want to just read to you this passage of what's said here. It's going to be up here on the screen for you to read along. Here's what it says. God was saying, That the human heart takes a good thing, 
like a successful career. That's good. Love, that's good. Material possessions, those are good. Even family, and then turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. It's when we take good things, even good things that God has provided, and we make them ultimate things. And we begin to allow our lives to be centered on them, not on the Lord anymore. And some of you, you, you would have an idol in your heart and you may not even realize it. Do you know when you begin to recognize that it's there? It's when some area of your life is afflicted. And as that area of your life is afflicted, something maybe you found security in, something maybe that you always trusted in, and your life feels like it is now spiraling out of control, even though maybe it isn't, even though everything's going to be okay, you'll have, you know, everything, but you feel internally like things are spiraling out of control. You know what just happened? One of your idols just got bumped into. It just got shaken. And in that, you feel like your whole world is coming undone. You know why? Because in some way, you're trusting in that more than you're trusting in the Lord in that moment. You're looking to that more than you're looking to the Lord. And there's these idols, these things that we make the center of our lives, the center of our focus, the center of our uh, attention. We don't even realize it sometimes until it's shaken. You see, we become so comfortable with it that then whenever it's shaken, it's challenged, it's in jeopardy, our world begins to feel like it's coming undone. And we realize, Lord, I made an idol in my heart of this. And I don't think you realize it, but your heart is an idol factory. Let me say it again. Your heart is an idol factory. And you may not think it. You may not want to acknowledge it. But guess what? There were a lot of kings that didn't want to acknowledge it either. Did not make it not true. It's still true, even if we don't want to believe it. That so often, we want to bow down to other things. We want to allow them to give us our significance, our purpose, our meaning. We, in many ways, we worship them. We worship them from sports teams to celebrities to fame to power to sex to money to provision. Whatever it is, we set them up as idols in our heart. And before long, they begin to rob us. They begin to shape us. They begin to change us from the inside out without us even realizing it. And so you have to deal with them. You see, there are two, two, two types of response I told you. You can either embrace them. You can ignore them. Many of us, we ignore them. Or you can destroy them. <laughs> and you can deal with them. You can cast them down where they need to go. Why? Because it's a very serious thing. Look what happens. Look what's at stake here if we continue on in 2 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read you verses 13 through 15. Verse 13, it says, The Lord warned Israel through the prophets. He warned them about all of this. And he said, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes, according to the law of your fathers, which I sent you. But the Israelites, verse 14, they didn't listen. They were stubborn as their ancestors. They rejected the decrees and the covenant of God, and they worshiped with their ancestors, and they despised all God's warning. So they went and they turned against the Lord. The prophets came and said, quit worshiping these gods. That's why there's the showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. The Lord was showing, I'm the true God. No, don't bow down to these gods. But it says they continued to worship them. And look what happened as a result. Verse 15. Here's what it says. They worshiped worthless idols, so they became worthless themselves. They worshiped worthless idols, and so they became worthless themselves. I want you to know that your worth is drawn from what you're worshiping. Your worth comes from what you worship. If you're worshiping the Lord, then guess what? Your worth comes from him. But if you're worshiping something else, your worth begins to come from that. That's how you feel your sense of worth. And guess what? Those things will be stripped away in a moment. For that farmer, 
that's there in Canaan that has all of the great yields every single year. His worth is found in the fact that that's what he is. He's a provider. He's a great farmer. He's all those things. But guess what? Whenever he doesn't have a good yield, his worth is attached to that. And that's what then sends him up to the altar. That's what makes him bow down. That's what makes him defile his body sexually to a temple prostitute. You know why? Because his worth is coming from what he worships. Not God, his own production of his own hands. That's what he's really worshiping. That's the idol in his heart. See, our worth is connected to our worship. What you're worshiping begins to shape your life. You become like, you look like, you resemble what you worship. If all that you're about is finance, provision, getting ahead in that way, having it. Guess what? Your, your life, you begin to seem and act and be very materialistic. You know why? Because you're worshiping material things. That's what's happening. You look that way. If it's about power, you become domineering. These kind of things happen. You begin to exercise that in a way that, that is not right, that is sinful. Guess what? You begin to resemble that. It begins to become who you are. Lust, if sexual sin is there and you're worshiping that, you're looking to that to try to find fulfillment, you find yourself in pornography, you find yourself defiling yourself sexually in some way. Church, I'm going there today because it's an idol. It's an idol in the hearts of so many. If you find yourself there, guess what? It consumes you, right? Before long, you don't know where to go and where to turn, what to do. That's all you're thinking about. Why? Because it's the idol that you're worshiping. This isn't just a habit. This isn't just a thought. This isn't just a little problem. It's not just a secret thing. It's an idol that has set itself up against God in your life and it's drawing all your affection. And before long, you become its slave, don't you? You become its slave. You turn to it. You look to it. You find your security. It could be in a substance. It could be in alcohol and drugs and something that you lean to, that you find as your crutch. You're worshiping it. You're worshiping a bottle. You're worshiping whatever it is. Call it whatever you want. Call it a bad habit, call it a little vice, call it an innocent, whatever. It's a God in your life and you're bowing down to it. If it's controlling you, you're bowing down to it. And you need to realize it today. So if we're going to deal with it, because I want to be like the kings that dealt with it. There's two of them, Josiah and Hezekiah. The reason I named my son Josiah is because of the example of Josiah in the Bible. I want him to be a man like that. That's how I want him to grow up in this kind of generation. And so they dealt with it. They destroyed the high places. And so today I want to talk to you about how we can destroy the high places in our heart. So if you're listening to me, you say, Pastor, that's me. I feel it. I know that some of those things that you've just described are there. I want to talk to you about how we're going to be able to address them. And I'll ask you, Pastor, maybe you can just come up and just play behind me here for a few moments. We're going to walk through it. You with me still, church? We're going to look at it. The first thing you have to do is you have to recognize that it's a high place. You have to recognize that some of you, that moment of recognition just happened. Just happened as I'm sharing. But others of you, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal something. Something maybe I haven't mentioned, something you haven't seen in God's Word, but you realize it's occupying the high place of your heart. It's an idol that's there. So you begin to look at that. You recognize it. One of the biggest problems among the people of God is they had an inability to recognize these things. They were happening right in front of them. They were blind to them. In Isaiah, he speaks about the people, and here's what he says. The Lord says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim." This is the condition of the hearts of these people. Their hearts are insensitive. They're cold. They're callous to me. Their ears are dull. They don't hear anymore. Their eyes are dim. They can't see clearly. Otherwise, he says, this is what happens if that changes, though, if they begin to recognize it. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. That's the change that can happen. That's what can take place. He said they can either be blind to it, not hear it, dull to it, their hearts cold to it, or they can turn and they can see. 
they can hear again, they can understand in their hearts and then return where they can find the healing that they so desperately need. It starts with recognition. It starts with you identifying and calling it for what it is, calling it anything else, saying you're occupying a place, you're an idol in my life, and I'm no longer going to deal with it in this way. I'm not going to ignore it. You may recognize it and say, you know what, it's just, it's just too much for me. I, I have to ignore it. Don't tolerate it in your life. I'll tell you, yes, maybe you could live a good life. But I think your story will end up going the same way that we've just been reading this summer. That what you thought was manageable begins to unravel. What started out small begins to become completely consuming in your life. It seems like it's a natural cycle as we read God's word and as we look at the life around us. So the first thing you do is you have to recognize, you have to see it for what it is. Hezekiah saw it. King Hezekiah came into power. He recognized it. He called it for what it is. And because of that, he was ready to do something about it. He didn't think of it as a small thing. He recognized it for the problem that it was. Praise God for for those kinds of examples in the Bible because they give us hope today that you and I, we could recognize and realize it's a bigger problem than we thought it was. Yesterday, I was out and I was doing some yard work and I have to be very open with you right now. Uh, Having a three-month-old child uh, and us learning to adapt to that and having another uh, child that's under three years old and chasing them around and doing all those things, our yard work has not been in been getting done the way it needs to at home. Are you with me? And, uh, and as I've looked around, I've looked in the cracks in my driveway and I see all kinds of things that were never growing out of there, growing out of there. I looked in flower beds and have seen it. I looked in my garden. Forget about my garden. You're not going to hear any stories about my garden for a while uh, because it's just overrun with weeds. And I looked around and I realized, wow, things have really gotten out of hand this season because we haven't been addressing them. And so we went around yesterday and we said, we're cleaning up. We're, we're addressing the weeds. I thought, Praise God, we're putting his word to practice. We're not, we're not letting this stand anymore. We're, we're going, we're going to rip them up and tear them, tear them down. And Lily was helping us, and she's walking there, picking up the weeds after us and pulling them away. And a couple weeks ago, one of my family members was at our house, and they said, hey, I was looking up in your gutter, and I don't know if you know, you have a, like a little weed that's growing out of your gutter. And I was like, that's really embarrassing. I have a weed growing out of my gutter. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, I'm not going to get up on a ladder right now and deal with it. So I let it go and didn't think about it. But yesterday it reminded me, okay, I got to get up there and see what's going on there. So I look and it's, and I have Cape Cod house and then I have a little front porch that comes off the front. And so in the corner there where the house connects with the porch, right there in the very corner where I can't even see it because it's like covered by a tree in front of my house. I look, I said, oh, there is a, there's a little green weed stalk coming up from there. So I go and I look and I'm like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb up. And I climbed on my porch and I figured out how to get my arm up there and pulled it out of the gutter and had a whole big thing of dirt clumped to it. And I set it down and I, and I thought to myself, this is incredible because it looks so small when I was looking at it from so far away. And I want you to see a picture of what it actually looks like. This is it. Okay? All right, so you haven't seen, you haven't really seen it yet. This is my daughter standing next to it. It was like three feet tall. I was thinking, I thought it was a corn stalk that was ready to bear some fruit in season. I was going to start a farmer's market right there on my street. <clears throat> but something so small, hidden away in a place that I wasn't really recognizing or paying attention to, really grew into something messy. I want to tell you, you'll be surprised by what's growing in the dark recesses of your heart, in the places that you're not giving much attention to, in the areas that you're ignoring, in the areas that you're not addressing. You'd be surprised to see what's growing there. It's time to uproot it. Come on, someone. It's time to tear it out. It's time to deal with it. It's time not just to recognize it, but to do something about it. And so the second thing that we must do 
It's this word that we see in the Bible a lot. It's this word repentance. We must repent of it. We recognize it, and then we repent of it. To repent means to turn, to do an about face, to turn away from, but not just to turn away from, to turn to. And so we need to turn away from that, and we turn to God. We turn to him, and when we turn to him, we're not just taking away that old thing that we're doing, we're even replacing it with a godly habit, with something that honors the Lord. Turning to him in that way, repenting, turning, clinging to him. Here's what it says in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4. It says, the king Hezekiah, he removed the high places and he broke down the sacred pillars and he cut down the Asherah. He cut down all the poles. He cut down, he destroyed everything. He said, I'm done, we're repenting of it. We're not just letting it go and not showing up over there. We're cutting it out completely. And we're replacing it with worship unto our Lord. So that's what needed to happen, a repentance, a turning away. Not tolerating what's growing in the gutters. Not just saying, okay, it's over there and we're over here. But addressing it, doing something about it before it becomes an unmanageable mess. Something fell into my heart as I thought about this idea. It's something you need to realize about what might be growing in the parts of your heart that you're not paying attention to that the seed of yesterday becomes the weed of today, becomes the forest of tomorrow. The seed of yesterday becomes the weed of today, becomes the forest of tomorrow. Before long, when you continue to not address it, it becomes a forest of dysfunction that takes you out just like we read in God's word here. But it starts with repentance, with cutting it off, with walking away from it, with not allowing it to have that power in your life anymore. And as that happens, and as you address it in that way, God begins to remove it from you and remove you from it. And and turn to him. But one of the things that caught me by surprise is when we repent, it's normally of sin, it's normally of these terrible things, and we know that there are some byproducts of, of what has happened in our lives, and there's a need for repentance, even in God's house today, that you'll find your way to these altars in a few minutes, and you'll, you'll be on your face before the Lord, and there's nothing more sweet than tears that are shed in repentance to God, because in that, God's doing a healing work. He's restoring, he's not judging, he's not condemning you, he's just restoring you and healing you. And one of the healthiest things that someone might be able to do today is just repent, turn away from that thing, and find God's grace here at these altars before you leave. But one of the things that needed to be repented of really caught me by surprise. Because it was actually a very good thing, I thought. Look at the rest of 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4. The second half of that verse. It says this, Hezekiah also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until these days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. So I had never picked up on this before. But one of the things that he destroyed was the bronze serpent that if we read about it in the Exodus account that it's lifted up in the wilderness. When the people of God are afflicted, it's lifted up. And, they, and the Lord said, look to the bronze serpent and you're going to be healed. And then Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, I'm going to be lifted up that whoever looks to me shall not perish but have eternal life. And this bronze serpent that had been lifted up, that had been a sign of the good healing work of God, had turned into a God that was being worshipped. And it's so easy, and this is what I mean whenever I say that our heart is an idol factory, is that they took something good that was given by God, and they made God's provision an idol. They made what God gave them an idol. And I want to tell you that when we look at it, money, sex, power, these things, all of them are actually good things that God gave us. Go right back to Genesis 1 and 2. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. He created woman. He created sex. He created that union to happen so that we could be fruitful and multiply, so that we could inhabit the earth, so that we could be blessed, so that we could find pleasure. All those things in the goodness of the Lord, in the context of what he has given to us in that relationship. 
So he created it good, but it was perverted. And now we have people being sold into slavery as sex slaves. Now we have a pornography industry that is is causing pain and affliction in the hearts of people all around. Bondage, men and women, it's happening all around. We have all these things. What is it? It's a counterfeit God taking something good that God has provided, manipulating it, perverting it. You have power. God says have dominion, have authority over creation. Name them, have that. But then what happens? The enemy comes and says, you don't have enough power. Reach for more power. And since then, there's been this struggle, this this trying to abusing of power, something good that God had given. Money, provision. God said, eat of all. Eat of all. But we wanted to reach further than that, except this. And since then, we have been fixated on that. Look at our world around us. Look at what caused the downfall of the housing market. What was it? It wasn't just the loans. It wasn't just a time of what happened. It was the greed of people on every side. It was the greed of us that overreached and thought we could have more than we could afford. It was banks that thought we want more, so we're going to give away when we know they can't repay it. It was greed at the heart of that that caused such epic failures in the world around us. So don't tell me that people aren't bowing down to the idol of money every single day. They're showing up, they're doing things they never wanted to do, things that shame them even because they're bowing down to that God. Are you with me, church? All of these things must be repented of, turned from completely. It's only when those things are removed and those idols are done. But you know what happens whenever those kings dealt with the idols? Do you want to know what was the common theme of what happened when the high places were cleansed, whenever the high places were being destroyed and dealt with? Revival broke out in the land. Revival broke out in the hearts. I want to tell you this. Don't sing the song, show me your glory, and be unwilling to deal with the high place because you'll never see the glory of the Lord until you deal with the high places of your heart. You'll never see the revival that you pray for, that you long for, the move of God you want to see in our country. Come on, someone. You want to see God move in our country again. It starts in the high places of your heart. It starts with us. It starts right here at that altar before the Lord. Show me your glory, Lord. His glory will come. That's what happens when the temple is set up. His glory falls. Whenever people look to the Lord and they turn their hearts to him, it consumes the offering. Whenever the Lord is being worshipped in the way the Lord is called to be worshipped, then his presence fills the temple. Whenever we look to him and we cast down every idol, revival breaks out. And so King Josiah comes onto the scene and this is the third piece of what's so necessary. We recognize it, we repent of it, but then we need to restore the right relationship or the right covenant. You see, we are in a covenant and the covenant is the Lord. It's a new covenant, he said, in his blood that we've come to him and we've asked him to forgive us all our sins. And so if this has happened, if we turn to the other things and we turn back to him and we allow him to cleanse us to forgive us, to allow us to experience his grace, his mercy. It's new every morning. You don't have to turn away. You don't have to cower in fear. The Lord is near to you. He's near and he wants to heal and restore you. He loves you like a father embracing a child coming home. So King Josiah at a young age, all he saw was dysfunction that came before him. In fact, his father was so dysfunctional that his life was cut short and Josiah became a king, the youngest king. But when he realized that all these things had happened, that the high places were in place. As a young man, he went and he, the Bible says he destroyed every high place in Israel. He destroyed every high place and it talks more about it. I couldn't, I don't have time to read to you an entire page. Go and read 2 Kings chapter 23 and all you're going to be reading about is how Josiah went here and he went there and he went there and every time he's tearing down high places. He's casting out idols. He's destroying any of that so that there's more room for the people of God to worship God. He doesn't want to deal with any of that or tolerate any of it in the land. 
And then he doesn't just do that. He wants to restore right relationship with God. And up until that time, the people hadn't taken the Passover meal together. They hadn't remembered the Lord leading them out of Egypt. They hadn't been turning to his word. In fact, Josiah discovers the word of God again in the temple. And all he wants to do is get the people to come back to the Lord. Come back, restore a relationship with God. That's all that he wants. And look what he says in verse 21 of 2 Kings 23. The king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover of the Lord your God. It's written in the book of the covenant. And look what's said of Josiah's life and let it be said of ours, church. Now before him, verse 25, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did anyone arise. Would you stand with me this morning? And can I just ask you a very real question in this moment? And I don't want you to wait an instant. You know the condition of your heart. You know where you're at. And I have to ask you it. How are the high places in your heart right now doing? Do you recognize areas? Do you recognize that there's something that you need to turn from? Today is a day that you can meet the Lord. I want this place, I want this altar to be filled today with people that are seeking the Lord. Perhaps you say, my eyes haven't been opened, but I sense there might be a high place. And I'm gonna come forward and I'm gonna ask the Lord to reveal that to me. These altars are for you today. Today, if you're here and you say, you know what? I realize it's time for repentance. It's time for me to turn away from those things. I want you to come down to this altar. Don't leave, don't ignore it any longer. Come here, because I'm believing God's gonna bring breakthrough into someone's life today. I'm believing today that there's gonna be a legacy that stands on the other side of this because of the decisions that were made of how you're addressing the high places of your heart. Today, maybe you realized it. You realize that you've done wrong. You've repented of the Lord, but today you have and really restore that relationship? Would you come to God's uh, presence? Would you come as we sing together? And would you allow God's love just to wash over you? Would you allow him to restore you today in his presence? Amen? Amen. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to begin praying right now, and I don't want you to wait another minute. I want you to come right to this altar. If that's you, if you need to respond to today's word, and let's not let another moment pass. Come as you feel led. Lord Jesus, we come before you today. Lord, we come to this place, Lord God. We come, Lord God, knowing that you love us, knowing that we are accepted by you, knowing, Lord God, how seriously you take the high places of our hearts, Lord God, and we're drawing a line in the sand. Lord God, we won't let it happen anymore, Lord God. We come to you today, Lord God, because some of us, we need a revelation, Lord God. Lord, it seems like something in my life doesn't feel right, and so, Lord, today, in your presence, reveal if there's a high place, if there's an idol, if there's something that's set up against your purposes in my life. Today, Lord God, we come, Lord God, we stand against idols, and we repent, and we turn against things that are separating us from you, Lord God. Lord, I pray for the one today that is bound, Lord God. They're bound in sin, Lord God. There's something that they are so powerless against. But today, Lord God, as they respond in the name of Jesus, would chains fall off of them? Would they feel a new lightness over them that they never felt before? In your presence, would there be freedom today, Lord Jesus, Lord God, as we turn, as we repent, Lord God, as we turn from those things and unto you. And Lord God, we pray today, Lord God, that there will just be a healing flow over those that would respond to your word, Lord God. We need you today at the center of everything. Let's sing, Pastor Rick. And as they're singing, let's just continue to respond. Don't let this moment pass you by. We're going to sing together. We're going to all respond together to what God's put here. So let's pray, come forward. Don't let another moment pass.